Hi, I'm Dr. Kerry Mackerith from the University of Cambridge. Dr. Eleanor Drage and I are the hosts of the Good Robot podcast. Join us as we ask the experts, what is good technology? Is it even possible? And how can feminism help us work towards it? If you want to learn more about today's topic, head over to our website, www.thegoodrobot.co.uk, where we've got a full transcript of the episode and a specially curated reading list by every guest. We love hearing from listeners, so feel free to tweet or email us, and we'd also so appreciate it if you left us a review on the podcast app. But until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. This special bonus episode was recorded at the AI Anarchies Conference in Berlin. We held a workshop exploring with participants what good technology means for them and why thinking in terms of good technology actually limits us. Two amazing participants offered to be interviewed by us, Christina Liu, a software engineer at DeepMind, and Grace Turtle, a designer, artist and researcher who uses experimentation and play like tabletop games, LARPing and simulation design, to encourage us to transition to more just and sustainable futures. We hope you enjoy the show. Amazing. So yeah, thanks so much for joining us for our first ever live podcast recording. So for our listeners, just to let you know, we've never done this before. So it might be really chaotic and weird, but we're really, really happy to be in conversation with so many fantastic people here at the AI Anarchies Conference in Berlin. But just to kick us off, we're going to get our very brave people who have volunteered to be live guests to introduce themselves. So Christina, can we start with you? Can you tell us a bit about who you are, what you do and what's brought you here to the conference? Yeah, so my name is Christina Liu. I'm a software engineer at DeepMind, where a lot of AI research occurs. But at DeepMind, I also do a good bit of socio-technical research, so sort of thinking really critically about technology and sort of bringing in fields of thought that aren't often in these spaces. So I've written papers about the cybernetic autopoetic relationship of that forms identity. And recently I've written a paper about thinking about the algorithmic internet. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm at AI Anarchies today because I really wanted to just kind of get together with the community of people who I often don't talk about AI with and trouble some of the existing preconceptions I might have. That's fantastic. That's so interesting. Okay, you said something which I didn't understand, so I'm going to ask you to explain it. So you said the cyber poetic, cybernetic, cybernetic, autopoetic. Okay, what does Um, that mean? (laughs) I think autopoiesis is... A name, is a word that came from molecular chemistry, if I'm, if I'm not incorrect. It's about basically a system of self-reinforcing processes that constantly reproduce its own structure. And so that's sort of how I think about identity, like human identity interpersonally. It's like sets of relations and processes that reproduce its own structure, mm. um, but it's also open to dynamism and movement. That's really fascinating. Sorry, that's a big word. Yeah, as I say, just start off nice and chunky, but we love it. Um, Grace, would you like to introduce yourself? I just want to say I'm also into the autopoetic. Oh, nice. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, jump in. (laughs) But, um, so who am I? I am, (laughs) my name is Grace Turtle. I come from the world of design and foresight. I have a, I work at AM, at, what do you call the third? I'm at the, I am one part of three. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nuts wasn't my thing. 
of a studio called Becoming Studio. We do mm. design futuring. And I'm also a member of the Decode Network, which is a, a PhD program that is rethinking design for inclusive futures. And the whole idea behind Decode is to rethink design in terms of artificial intelligence, more or less. Everything connects to artificial intelligence, but we look at that for at the level of interaction, policy, at the level of the algorithm, as some examples. And within the Decode network, I specifically look at uh, co-predictive relations. Mm. So predictive technologies, specifically digital twins, and I do that from a queer perspective. So I am specifically looking at queering AI from the lens of logic or ethics, aesthetics and imaginaries. Great, cool. What is a digital twin and how can we queer it? <laughs> okay, so a digital twin is... Simply put, a virtual copy of a physical entity or asset. Usually when I'm explaining what a digital twin is, is like having a conversation like this. Usually have a glass in front of me. But, you know, uh, we'll start with a glass. So a glass is like a very simple object. It doesn't have many, it doesn't have a lot of materials. It has a single purpose or, you know, you could, I guess, glitch the purpose of the cup. But it would exist as a 3D model potentially before it is made. And so you would be able to prototype that glass before it's produced. A digital twin essentially takes this physical asset, doesn't always have to be physical, it creates this virtual model and you could think of it as the data double. Mm. It's meant to be real time. And essentially there is this information loop that flows between the physical asset and the virtual asset. And so the digital asset is intended to optimize the physical asset. It creates what-if scenarios, and it's all intended to kind of uh, manage or maintain and optimize this physical thing. So the cup is a very simple example, but you could think of a rocket ship, you could think of a city, and then it becomes a little bit more complex. So it's used everywhere in engineering and also poses its own ethical issues of, yep. of copying and reproducing systems as digital twins. Yes. So how do you queer them? So how you would queer a digital twin is, the way I think of it is, you know, starting at the logics, at the level of the logic of the digital twin. I think it's it's... It's good to think of where digital twins come from. So they come from engineering. They come from the production of machines that can kill people. And so you want to manage risk with a digital twin. So the way that I think about it is there is kind of a desirable predictability that you want to manage, there is undesirable predictability that you want to manage, and there is undesirable unpredictability that is huge risk. And then there is this space of, of desirable unpredictability. And this is a space that no one really thinks of because it's a happy accident. It's like a pleasant surprise. You don't intentionally design for that. And so that is the this, you know, if you were to say it's an axis, that is the quadrant that for me is most interesting because that is the space of 
opening future potentialities, and that is the space for, for queering. I look at queering digital twins, again, coming back to logic, from this lens of mutation, uh, disidentification, with the purpose to re-engineer meaning, and this space of possibility or in-betweenness, which I, I, I think of as the borderland. And so how you queer a digital twin is you apply those that, that logic into the structuring and in the intention of the digital twin. And that as a thought exercise, you should be able to focus more on opening futures than rather than closing futures, which is really the goal of digital twins today. That's absolutely fascinating. And just the kinds of conversations we've been having here today at AI Anarchies, yeah, just trying to think about all the different ways people are envisioning these different kinds of futures has been phenomenal. And so for our listeners who might not know what AI Anarchies is, something we've been talking about a lot, could you both explain a little bit what you've been doing here over the past week, what kinds of themes or conversations you've been having, and yeah, what you're hoping to do or take away from this amazing event that's been co-organized by Mayandira Ganesh, one of our previous guests on the podcast and a member of the Center for Future of Intelligence. Grace or Christina? Christina, do you want to kick us off? I think during this time at AI Anarchies, we've sort of, I think at least I personally have grappled a lot with binaries, right? There's resistance to technology versus repair. There's, um, you know, trying to deal with the harms embedded in the technology that exists now and imagining a possible future, perhaps with different, under different circumstances. And I think one theme that has come up through this conference, conference school for learning and unlearning, <laughs> is the, at least for me, like sort of abandoning the notion of the binary, going towards this territory of a secret third thing. And sort of thinking of things as existing within a field of potential with with um, potential to draw you into different directions. And this sort of thinking of like technology as like, uh, there, there are different vectors that technology could go towards. And there are some, you know, and that allows like flexibility and dynamism when thinking about AI and what is harmful because it's not we're just we're not we're not like ad hoc saying like oh massive scale is bad we're, what we're saying is like maybe we should move in this direction for a bit and see what's going on so you said before to me that the secret third thing is not this thing or that thing but something beyond <laughs> and that's as yet unthought do you have any concrete examples of that of how we're kind of trapped between two possibilities like reform and resistance yeah. and we want to think of another option. Yeah, I think sort of in similar to what like Grace was just saying earlier, um, a lot of what I'm interested in these days is like, you know, we have all of this technological infrastructure in place. What are ways of hacking and leveraging this infrastructure and corrupting it for our own ends and like contaminating it? Sorry, it's very like xenofeminist. Um, but yeah, I'm interested not in incompatibility, but like being incompatible and like seeding something new and like leveraging the structure, uh, this existing infrastructure, usurping it, contaminating it to use it for something different. And I think that 
is I, I wouldn't say that is necessarily repair nor refusal. I think it's sort of a bit more sneaky than that. <laughs> we love something sneaky. Yeah. I mean, Grace, what are your thoughts? You look I feel you look like unsure. So, I think, no, I, I think I, I agree. I think someone brought up the other day indirectly maybe um, this quote that is often quoted <laughs> about the master and the master's tools. How is this thing go? Um, you can't, like, destroy the master's house with the master's With the master's tools, tools yeah. I can't remember what comes after that, but doesn't matter. It's the thing that's extracted <laughs> most from this is Audrey Lord. Yeah. yeah, right. It's like it's like Audrey Lord quote trending. Yeah. Maybe in maybe in context, it actually means something very different. But it's basically <laughs> used as a provocation yes. to to ask. I don't know. Well, well the, the, when I think of this quote, I'm like, well. It's not even about the other. It's about that she says, like, dismantle. You can't use the, the, these tools to dismantle the master's house. So I'm like, well, you also can't use the master's tools. You can't, it's, not, it's not about the tools or about dismantling the house. It's about, like, remixing. It's about building a new house and doing multiple things at the same time. I think, again, thinking about this kind of dualism between – reform and revolution is is not so useful you both need to reform and have a revolution at the same time and so when i always th- i always think of, of that um there is you know there is nothing that is like inherently good or bad but i don't know where, where yeah. i'm going with that but there is a there is like there are things that you can do. You can also mess with the thing to to make it mm. to make it better. Yeah, it's quite a bind. And every year, I get gender studies students come to me with their dissertation saying, "Can I unravel the master's? Can I knock down the master's house with the master's tools?" And I'm like, "Just focus on the dissertation for a minute." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like the yeah, the master's house. The, yeah, this is. I, I think we need to move away from this whole mm. tools and the house. Yeah, it even though I really like, you know, Audrey Lord, what an amazing human being, but we need to move away from the master's house. Just ignore it. It's not even there. <laughs> I think that's so interesting. And I also, I find it interesting as well when we're thinking about sort of repair versus resistance. And I would even say revolution is a kind of a third category. <laughs> so many R words out there. Uh, and that's something we were discussing as a group was trying to think about, you know, what does revolution look like in this space? Because we so often talk about how do we reform? How do we resist on quite an individual level? Do we kind of, you know, individually stop using platforms, for example? But as Jack Halberston, one of our guests previously talked about what would it mean for us to all collectively refuse to take part in some of these tech systems and is it even possible though to be able to opt out but with that in mind I want to take us to our kind of core questions that we ask on this podcast very much as a provocation which is what is good technology is it even possible and how can feminism help us work towards it and so Grace let's jump to you you've talked about your different kinds of interests around these sorts of sort of unpredictable spaces that can be really desirable in design, but we'd love to hear more broadly about what you think about this idea of good technology. Yeah, so I think before we started recording, I, I questioned why this question, why good technology? I think 
there is no good and good is not necessarily something that we should be aiming for. I think we should be complicating our relationship with with technology. And it comes, the, I think of that in, in my work in a few ways, coming back to this, you know, what we started talking about in terms of autopoiesis. It's like, what is the auto? I think a lot about what is the auto, what is the self uh, when it comes to technology to complicate the relationship that we have with technology as a tool because a tool is, uh, again, very binary. It's very connected to Cartesian thought. It supposes that humans are kind of somehow above these tools. And when we co-perform with technology so much, and I think we've seen a lot of really fantastic examples over the last week here, we have a shared agency. And I think this is, you know, something that I look at a lot is like this co-performativity in the shared agency that, um, that occurs when we relate to technology. And so, and that again, it, we are not inherently good or bad. So how can technology be, be good or bad? So I'm more interested in um, forms of complication. Sometimes things in the world of technology are complicated and need careful explaining. Sometimes they just need a little hard truth. I don't think anyone is going to buy a banana with crypto at any point in the foreseeable future. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, the host of Slate's What Next TBD, your clear-eyed guide to technology, power, and the future. Friday and Sunday, wherever you get your podcasts. And the Cartesian dialectic, so that's what you were just talking about, is, you know, this guy, René Descartes, who came up with the idea that the mind and the body are separate, they are binary opposites of each other, and that's a myth that lives on in AI today with people thinking that artificial general intelligence would be this big brain detached from a body, it's not embodied at all, there are no material aspects to it, it's this kind of floating mind, and you see the floating mind appear again and again and again in science fiction. Mm. Also, just to add one more point there, it's like, I, I, th- I feel like when we think about AI specifically, it's, we have to think of its origins. It's like, you know, genealogy, it's epistemology and whatever, and go even further back of its early imaginings. But I particularly, like recently have been thinking a lot about the Turing test and, and Turing because this, I, I feel like no one acknowledges very specifically that this is a gay man that modeled a system of intelligence passing as human intelligence because he was a gay man having to pass as straight. And so the, in this, and this test is like, you know, it's so important for testing artificial intelligence because it's trying to pass as human and this is like inherently wrong. It's like, again, it, you keep coming up with these binary ways of understanding intelligence or artificial intelligence that are problematic. Yeah, I'm sorry not to jump in, but I think, yeah, and ignore the question of good technology, but I think, (laughs) um, I, yeah, I've been thinking a lot deeply about how like artificial intelligence as it exists today in machine learning is like sort of fundamentally incompatible with a lot of uh, with like queerness because it cannot hold this multiplicity, right? Like both 
supervised and unsupervised learning exists to make categories in data or rely on categories already existing in data. And so, um, yeah, the whole reason why I was like talking about auto policies in the beginning is because in this paper we were trying to, I was trying to diag- diagnose basically how the way of thinking about identity is so flawed in machine learning because people think of it as static categories. They think of them as discrete. And they also think of it as like epistemological, like it's fully knowable to one person. When I would say like, like, like you said, it's like co-constructed among people and with machines as well. And I think that is something that is sort of difficult for me to grapple with or just makes me think about how like perhaps like there are, the way that machine learning exists today is incompatible with these alive dynamic processes that make up who we are. Can it be done differently? Yeah, I mean, we thought of some examples in this paper and one, of, I think none of them are like, I think it would require like actually troubling the notion of uh, machine learning, the statistical foundations of it in the first place. But like one idea we had in the paper I think mostly from my co-author, Jackie Kay, but they spoke a little bit about, I mean, machine learning depends on data sets, right? And it's often in these data sets that these categories, these partitions like first come to be. And so one idea we had for, you know, if we want to collect data on a group of humans, a group of people, why not have a relational data set in which each person in the data set categorizes everyone else according to whichever, whichever metric or uh, we've decided, and thus you're you're specifically encoding the subjectivity that exists in the group. So you're specifically trying to encode whatever perspectives that is contained. And I thought that was like quite an interesting idea. But yeah, I think it definitely requires a rethinking of the logics that underpin AI right now. And like you said, I'm quite interested in uh, machines that you know, can allow us to be subversive and co-construct something together with it. That's really fascinating. I love the idea, or I'm really intrigued by this idea of like a relational data set. And certainly, you know, I think this is something Ellen and I think about a lot is how not only the kinds of categorizations that we use are themselves really invested in these histories of racism and sexism, but also just how the process of labeling is often so erroneous because of the the non-consensual collection of data and then just the mislabeling of people in a way, you know, that tries to associate external appearance with internal characteristics that is itself such a scientifically racist logic um, but we now actually wanted to bring you back to that question you've kind of touched on it a lot uh, of what is good technology is it possible and you know can feminism help us work towards it uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that oh yeah okay so I'll <laughs> answer the question now um, yeah so I think when I think about what makes good technology uh, I think we also didn't talk about the structure of this autumn school, but in the morning we have like provocations from amazing academics like Sarah Sharma, Jackie Wong, Ramon Amaro, etc. So I think on the first day, Sarah Sharma came and talked a little bit about the necessity of scrutinizing the logics that underpin why AI, why technology is built. And I think when you ask me what good technology is, I'm like, what are the logics that are implied when we build technology? And often it's like, Sarah talks about like the utility of others to us and other logics that I think are troubling are like efficiency, you know, ease, 
massive scale, etc. And so I am interested in a technology that instead seeds new models, infrastructures, etc. that allow for, you know, chance encounters and inefficiency. Here I am going on again. Um, but yeah, technologies that sort of go against these ideas of efficiency and productivity and instead help sculpt us into new forms that allow for like different social connections or different mediations. Yeah. And here you converge, Christina and Grace, because <laughs> Grace was talking about um, meandering and getting lost and wilderness. So there's something there, right, that's come out of this week where you've all thought about how can we program against efficiency somehow and stay in a place that's very human. You know, it's very human to sort of fail and have chance encounters and that serendipity is what makes life really beautiful. So is that is that what you think? Are you attached um, to that kind of way of living? And is that what you want to replicate in AI? Replicate? I think so. I'm not sure what we would be replicating because I'm not so sure where it exists today. But I think it is definitely introducing new friction to create something anew because we could say that our existing economic models or, you know, capitalism, heteropatriarchal systems, forms of techno-determinism shaped by particular worldviews are, are destroying us and everything around us. So I think it is really important that, that we do introduce new logic, that we kind of break old logic to, to create new worlds, basically. Um, so it's not... It's not resisting the technology as such, as such but it is re rejecting and resisting particular ways the technology is inscribed that re-inscribes us back into this very toxic system that we exist within today, I would say. That's really fascinating. And I feel like that actually, yeah, really loops us back to what Christina was talking about at the beginning of this, of this episode. And I think these themes of constant inscription, but also trying to create these different messy, wild futures is so key. But I really want to say thank you so much to both of you for spontaneously appearing on our podcast. Thank you to everyone who took part in this workshop. It's been such a delight to be in conversation with you all. And for our lovely listeners, we hope that you've really enjoyed hearing more about the AI Anarchies workshop. And we look forward to talking again soon with both of you. So thank you so much. <laughs> this episode was made possible thanks to our generous funder, Christina Gould. It was written and produced by Dr. Eleanor Drage and Dr. Kerry Makarath and edited by Laura Zamulyonita.